0: Now, who is writing this gospel? Luke. And Luke is writing, if you guys remember the opening part of the gospel, who's he writing to? Theophilus. So he's writing to a Greek man, not somebody who's necessarily schooled in Hebrew culture and the Old Testament, correct? And so... he's he's talking about Jesus coming eight days being completed. And he has to explain what's going on with this circumcision what's going on with this purification and so on and so forth. And so back in, in verse 21, we see eight days are completed for the circumcision that comes right out of the Levitical law. Verse 22. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. There's a lot going on here. <clears throat> Circumcising a male, um, having a baby made one un- impure. They had to go uh, mary as a, a Jewish woman had to go through a time of purification, which for a woman would be if she had a male was 33 days. So you add the seven days to wait for the circumcision, 33 days of purification. That means 40 days after the birth of Jesus, they're now bringing the firstborn male to present him before the Lord. The reason that they're bringing the firstborn male is because any firstborn child um, that opened up the womb is holy to the Lord or meant to be presented to the Lord. If it was an animal, the animal would be sacrificed to the Lord. If it's a human, they were brought and presented at the temple as, Lord, this is your child just as the lord um, killed all of the firstborn it says in exodus of egypt and all of the firstborn animals um, we bring our firstborn recognizing that we've been saved we've been passed over and we're offering our firstborn to the lord for any way in which he chooses to use this child that's a lot of data that Theophilus would just probably have no idea about if he hadn't read his Septuagint, his Greek Old Testament. And so Luke uh, goes to and, and, and is going to quote frequently from the Old Testament to help his audience and his readers understand what's going on. So if you look at verse 23, and it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's why she's coming to the temple. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is paid in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now what Luke doesn't tell us that there were actually different types of offerings that could be offered. But if you were poor and you weren't able to afford um, the animal, the large animal sacrifice, you could bring turtle doves. So the fact that Mary and Joseph are bringing turtle doves or pigeons, what does that say about their relative wealth? they're poor and so they come they're going to um, bring this offering notice in verse 23 it says every male who opens the womb shall be holy to the lord does this mean that god doesn't like females is god chauvinistic what do you guys think yes Yes. (laughs) now if you go back and you read we're not going to turn that now but if you read exodus chapter 13 for the rationale it's it's there's this tie in to all the male all the male children that were killed in Egypt as a part of that passover remember the final great plague was that all of the the firstborn of all of the animals and all the male children in Egypt were killed except for those Hebrew kids that were in their homes their blood had been put on the doorway and when the avenger or the angel of death came All those that were under the blood were were saved. All of those that were not were killed. And so when a male child was brought before the Lord, um, this was to be a remembrance that their children had been passed over while Egypt's children had been killed. And so it has nothing to do with some sort of ancient form of male chauvinism, no matter what my professor said back at Cal State San Bernardino. Um, Let's look at verse 25 and following. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So what are some descriptions of this man named Simeon that we see in verse 25? How does Luke describe Simeon? He's devout. Good. What else? He is righteous. Just. Yeah, so he's seeking the consolation of Israel. He's been... uh, So this isn't just... This is somebody who knows, probably knows his Old Testament. He knows that there's a time coming uh, when the consolation, which is a synonym for the Christ would be coming and then what else does it say the Holy Spirit's upon him so when the Holy Spirit's upon you in an old you know we're still technically in the Old Testament from a dispensational viewpoint right the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon the church yet but the Holy Spirit's upon him in the way that you would see the Holy Spirit coming upon David or Samson, um, or any of the Old Testament saints, and so the holy spirit 's upon him then verse twi- twenty six and it had uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lord 's christ the lord 's Christ, so he would not die until he had seen this consolation, this christ, this messiah. Anybody know, uh, those of you guys that maybe looked at the study material this week, what does Christ mean? Like what would be the translation, English translation of Christ? The anointed one, right? So an anointed one would be somebody who's been uh, picked, plucked out, or, or, or chosen for a special purpose. Anointed with oil, anointed by the Holy Spirit for a special purpose. David was anointed, right, by Samuel. Um, And so uh, the Christ is the ultimate anointed one and Simeon will not see death, he's been told. Verse 27, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said... Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That's pre- this is a pretty interesting occurrence. Simeon being led of the Holy Spirit takes up this little baby. And what are some of the things that Simeon is, is, is attributing to this baby? Salvation. That salvation is going to come through this little child. What else? Yes. It's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And then after that, yeah, glory for the people of Israel. Notice that, uh, I don't know if you have this in your Bibles, but it's kind of set off as poetry. So you have these couplets. So you've got light paralleling with glory. You've got Gentiles paralleling with Israel. And so as he's prophesying, he's being led of the Lord to prophesy in a Hebrew poetic form. And um, <clears throat> so just acknowledging that the Lord has now fulfilled what was promised to Simeon and that he's been able to see with his own eyes the salvation. So now we've, we've had several different descriptions of Christ: salvation, consolation. He's called Christ. He's called Jesus. Already we've got a lot of attributes that are being built up around this little baby. That he's going to be the one that brings consolation from what? The fact that Israel had all these promises that went unfulfilled and now there's been nothing for really 400 years, right? Think about all the promises. If you guys were here a few weeks ago, think about all the promises that were being dished out via Daniel and Ezekiel that you guys are going to come back into the land and never again be plucked up. And the Lord's going to put His law in your hearts and nobody's gonna even have to talk to their neighbors and witness their neighbors because everybody's gonna know the Lord. They come back into the land, they start to intermarry, and they even start to fall back into idolatry, which is why they got thrown into captivity in the first place. And before you know it, there's another people group that takes over, and then you have a little bit of a Maccabean period where the Jews are ruling themselves, then Alexander the Great, and then you've got the Romans. And, uh, there's just, it's like, there's been no consolation, no hope, no fulfillment of what we heard the prophet saying. Now, Jesus is coming to be that consolation to be Jesus. What does Jesus literally mean? Everybody remember? Yeah. Jehovah saves. So he is Jehovah's salvation. Um, so he's consolation. He's salvation. His name means salvation and it's pretty interesting that Simeon's prophecy would involve the Gentiles. We do see hints at that in the Abrahamic covenant and Isaiah and other places, but it comes right out in this early, early prophecy about Christ. This is going to involve the Gentiles. Now let's pick it up in verse 33. And Joseph, his mother and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon, you know, it'd be really cool if he just stopped right there, right? If he just stops right there and says, here's the consolation, here's the Christ. This is Jesus. This is really exciting. But then he has to turn to Mary. He says, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Who knows, even if Simeon knew knew the full import of what he was prophesying. Um, But this is this doesn't feel this isn't a good feeling. The first part of the prophecy, I don't know about you, but it's a good feeling, isn't it? But then for him to turn to Mary and say, hey, he's going to cause the rise and fall of many. And he's going to in your own hearts going to be pierced. So this seems to be a veiled reference, perhaps to the cross, right? And the road that. Jesus is going to go on. And so even now, uh, as we kind of get this foreshadowing, Christ is going to come and accomplish our salvation from sin, but we're not going to see the full fulfillment yet in this advent of Christ seems to be what's implied in this prophecy. All right. So what are the, if you guys were to pick like some of the top terms about this child, just by way of review, what are the big terms that are popping out of this text? Just about the child. You can shout it out. Or wrap it if you want, whatever. Again, big nouns, big describer words if you want to. Okay, light. Say it again. Glory. Salvation. What else? Okay, glory, Christ, glory. holy. Okay. Okay. And so the so the, probably the big one would be Christ. You, would you agree? Consolation in Christ. Those are probably the big terms. Let's turn now over to John. I always forget about my wonderful PowerPoint that I spent all this time on that I never show you guys. let's click over here to uh to John chapter 1 verse 40 so now we've got a scene where Jesus uh he's he's now uh beginning his ministry and in this first uh group of converts and disciples We'll actually pick it up in verse 35, although we're going to focus down around 40 to 42. Again, the next day, John stood with his, uh, two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So there's another describer of Jesus. And two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. That was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard um, John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the what? Messiah which is translated Christ. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall now be called Cephas, which is translated stone. In verse 40 to 42, there's some interesting things that are going on. Who's the, um, again, who's the author of this particular book? John. John. Okay, so we're in John now. And so let's notice, uh, first of all, a couple things. Do you think John's audience, based on 40 to 42, do you think they speak... What language do you think is the primary language of the readers? Greek. Right. And we would know that based upon... Him saying, which is translated this, right? So look at verse uh, 41 again. We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. So when he says Messiah, he's writing in Greek letters the Hebrew Messiah or Messiah, right? And so he wants them to be able to pronounce it when they're reading the Greek New Testament. Greek, But... The average Greek reader is going to look at that and not know what that word means. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we'll probably talk later about a word. There's a Greek word proskineo, right? Proskeneo. And if I threw that up in, with Greek lettering, you guys wouldn't even be able to pronounce it. But I could spell it. I could spell it out for you in English letters: P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O. That's not how it's written in Greek, but then you guys could look at that, pronounce it proskaneo, and then I would say which is translated worship or bow down. And so that's what's going on here, is his readers, they can read it with the Greek lettering, but they don't know necessarily what it means, so he has to say which is translated Christ. <clears throat> now the assumption is they know what Christ means. Anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. And then the same thing you see down with Cephas, you shall be called Cephas. Uh, And then that's the Aramaic term, which is translated a stone. And so in this particular setting, I think um, the emphasis that we want to make is that Andrew invites Peter to come meet someone called the Messiah or the Christ. And Peter, as a Jew, would have known exactly what that meant. This isn't just uh, any average person. This is the consolation of Israel. This is the person we've been waiting for. <clears throat> we looked to Moses; he didn't ta- he didn't go into the land. We looked to Aaron; he wasn't able to go into the land. David was an incredible king, but guess what? His kingdom kicked off the split of the kingdom. We have all these prophecies that came in the Old Testament that seem like the Lord was going to cause the spirit to fall upon all peoples and it just didn't happen. And so we're still waiting for this time when the prophet priest King, when the Messiah will show up, Andrew comes up to Peter and says, we found him. Now we've grown up with these stories, many of us since we were little kids in Sunday school. And so when we hear Andrew saying to Peter, we found the Messiah you know, at 930 in the morning, when we're only halfway through our coffee, it's just kind of like. Oh, wow, that's cool. All right. That's awesome. <clears throat> but just try to get your your. Into the mindset of Peter and Andrew. These guys are underneath the yoke of the Romans. They know their history. <clears throat> that. um That there is somebody coming at some point. They don't know if it's going to be in their lifetime or some future lifetime. But for Andrew to walk up to Peter and say, we have found the one that the Old Testament has been talking about for 4,000 years. All the way back to Genesis, when God promised that the one that would come out of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He is here Um, this would have just probably sent shivers up and down the spine of Peter and the same thing with Simeon when he suddenly realized that this prophecy that had been revealed to him through the Holy Spirit now he's actually holding this little baby that is the Christ and this must have been an overwhelming overwhelming moment one of the things I appreciate these days is there's a there's better and better Christian films that are coming out that are able to really put on display some of the, just the emotion and intensity of some of the biblical narratives. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have seen one of the recent ones we've seen is Paul. Has anybody seen the, the Paul movie? Yeah, there's, and they're just towards the end of it. I want to spoil it, you know, the spoiler, but <clears throat> just, the intensity that they're able to bring to the film of Paul seeing the savior after his death, just looking up and there's Christ. It's just like, wow, that is so awesome, you know, for artists today to take this, you know, what we know is going to be true that when we die, we're going to be with Christ and to be able to really bring out with all of the music and the visuals of, you know, the, just the thought of Christ seeing Paul after a life poured out for Christ, um, and and I think the scriptures are meant to kind of bring out that kind of emotion. That when we see these types of events, Andrew speaking to Peter, Simeon holding this baby in his hands, we're meant to kind of like feel the swell of the music of this story that's been building f- from the Old Testament and to really feel the intensity of what's happened. Um, So I, I don't know about you, but I, if, as long as I'm watching the right movie, the, those types of experiences kind of add to my appreciation of scripture, you know, you know, no movie hits it perfectly. And, um, anybody seen Samson? This is kind of a rabbit trail. Anybody seen Samson yet? Oh, man. Oh, Pastor Milton has? Okay. There's some really cool movies that are coming out that I'm, I'm like willing, you know, when the, when the family is saying, Hey, let's go spend $15 on a movie ticket. And I look at some of the ratings, like, you know, all the three F words and this one and that one, and a little bit of nudity and that kind of stuff. I'm like, why do why do I want to spend $15 on this? But when there's something that's coming out that you know, might not match our artistic standards as Americans, but it's a good film that's that's pro- producing biblical truth. I'm like, I'll spend fifteen dollars on that. And uh, that Samson movie, it shows the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson before he kills the three thousand Philistines. Is it Philistines, or the people that are attacking him? And it's just really cool the way he like gets filled with the Spirit and then grabs the donkey bone and just goes ape wild. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. So you should see it just for that, just to see him like kill all these Philistines with a donkey bone. Not very politically correct, by the way, these days. Um, but a killer killer scene. Now let's, let's turn over to Hebrews now to kind of wrap this, kind of tie this whole transition up. So in Hebrews chapter 1, We're now the writer of Hebrews is is kind of writing a little bit more after the fact now. Jesus has already come. He's died. He's been raised from the dead. And there does seem to be a sense in the book of Hebrews... That he is writing to pre- predominantly a Jewish audience, thus the title, Hebrews, right? And um, and so some of these early Jewish Christians um, trying to piece together some of the story that might be there as to why he's writing this epistle, mixing it in with some of the other data from the New Testament. There seems to be some questions going on. One, there's like kind of an enamorment still with the old covenant. And how does the new covenant interact with the old covenant? There seems to be people that are really enamored with angels, really caught up with the concept of angels. And, um, and it also within the midst of some of these churches, there's kind of a big question mark about who's really saved, Right. I mean, just like here at Cornerstone or any other church, there's people that come every week who hear the gospel preached, but we're under no illusion that everybody that's in these seats this morning are born again, even if they've been coming for a long time. There's going to be a mixed crowd. And so how do you determine who's born again, who's not born again? How do people check themselves? So on and so forth. And so the writer of Hebrews, this is <clears throat> this is kind of a uh, an epistle... That you know, a lot of epistles they kind of warm up to the thesis. This one just jumps right into the thesis and just slaps you in the face from verse one. There's just no buildup at all. There's not even any kind of like we don't even know who the author is because they didn't say, "Hey, the Apostle Paul to this church," or "Let me send you greetings and grace and mercy." They just go, "Boom!" God, look look at verse one, God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. He spoke through prophets in times past. This would be Old Testament, right? Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Let's just stop right there. So you've got one verse about the prophets. God spoke by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. And then the rest of the book is pretty much about the Son. And just look at the flow of this first chapter. So he spoke by the prophets. Okay, enough with them. Let's talk about the son now. Whom he appointed heir of all things. So by the way, first of all, he's inheriting all things. What does he mean by all things? He means all things. (laughs) Absolutely everything is his. He has authority over it all. Through whom he made the worlds. And you almost have to get this idea There's almost kind of like, by the way, uh, he made everything, right? He's the son. He's the heir of all things. And as an aside, he made the whole universe. Whom, by the way, and I'm kind of throwing that in there, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So he's he's the exact representation of the nature of the father, um, upholding all things by the word of his own power, Think about that. The son upholds all things by the word of his own power. That's very, that calls you back to Colossians chapter one. The idea here is all Jesus has to do is speak. And if you really understand understand the idea of word, all he has to do is think. And it just happens. He upholds everything by the word of his own power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. It's a big mouthful. So, This one who created all things, who upholds all things by the word of his power, who's going to inherit all things. He purged our sins and then sat down at the right hand of majesty. In other words, he's the man. So the the whole rest of the book is going to try to demonstrate that Jesus is the highest. He is the supreme one. There is nobody higher. Therefore, we're going to talk about angels here the rest of the chapter. He is in charge of the angels. We're going to talk about the Aaronic priesthood a little bit later. Guess what? He is the high priest. We're going to talk a little bit about the prophet. He is the highest prophet. We're going to talk about the old covenant. Guess what? It's the old covenant. It had a built in expiration date. It's expired. He's now the uh, he's now in charge of this thing called the new covenant, which is called new covenant for a reason. Right. It is new. It is better. And so if you were to put a big thesis statement over the book of Hebrews, if we were to kind of rebind it and put kind of like a subtitle, Hebrews, the subtitle would be Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything, everything you can imagine. Let's, let's kind of do a a flyby through the rest of this chapter. Verse four, having become so much better. There you go. Right. What do you guys, what do your translations have? Let me look at your translations. Do you guys all have better in verse four? Better, superior, better, superior. Anybody have anything different than better or superior? Superior? Okay. So he's better, he's superior uh, to the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and, and again I will be to him a father... And he shall be to me a son. Has he ever said that to any angels that you guys are so excited about? No, It's this is the only one he said that to. But verse 6, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship who? Him. Angels are worshiping Jesus. That's our word proskuneo. Can you guys say proskuneo? Proskuneo. The idea is... You bow down to and worship. So proskuneo could be, in some contexts it's just proskuneoing before a king. But whenever it involves Jesus or angels or spiritual things, it always involves worship. That's why in the book of Revelation, when the apostle John proskuneo's before the angel, what does the angel say? Get up. You don't proskuneo me. Right? Um, and so when, in this kind of context, when it talks about angels, proskuneion, Jesus, that is worship of a deity. It's not just bowing to show reverence and respect like you might respect a king. No, this is, this is actual worship. So Jesus is getting worship of angels. Verse 7, And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels um, spirits or winds, some translations say, and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, for uh, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So um, Christ's kingdom is forever. It's eternal. And by the way, he's also called Theos, God. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. There's our word anointed. That's the idea of Christ with the oil of gladness more than your companions verse 10 and you lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands so these are all quotes right we're quoting the old testament demonstrating he's demonstrating how they uh, affirm christ and are pointed towards christ verse 11 they will perish but you will remain They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? So verse 1 to 13, it's like Jesus Christ has created all things. He inherits all things. All the angels worship him. And by the way, Um, He created the worlds again. He reminds us of that. Everything else is going to grow old, but the sun will not grow old. And then in verse 14, we get a a little bit of a, a prop for angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So it's not like angels have no role, but let's get their role right. They're here to minister to you and they bow before Christ and Christ is better. He's ultimate He's superior. So, what's the bottom line here? <clears throat> what we should be walking away with as we move into the into the New Testament is the Old Testament. You know, when you when you read the Old Testament, uh, I don't know about you, but if I was God writing a book about um, all these, you know, trying to really demonstrate the awesomeness of my people and Israel and so on and so forth. You would just never make up a story like the old Testament because it seems like every hero that comes up in the old Testament ends up being a real failure and, 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 a, and a disappointment. And you look at the one group of people that God chooses out of all of the nations. And aren't they one of the most dysfunctional families you've ever seen in your life? It's like he calls out Jacob. Jacob's a trickster. And, who has to run out of town from his brother Esau. And then, you know, he has all this trouble with Laban. And then he ends up having four different wives and then kids from four different wives. And they're all after each other. And then they throw this guy named Joseph into a pit, by the way, who ends up going and saving Israel. And you just read through the whole story and you're just like, you would never write a story like this. Um, It's like, what are you doing, Lord? Um, There's just no heroes. Everybody seems like a knucklehead. Um, And then the Lord starts to do some pretty amazing things. And the prophet never makes it into the land. The priest never makes it in the land. King David, who's the greatest king in the Old Testament, has some big time serious flaws, who ends up having this consequence that ends up lasting the rest of his life and causes division in the whole period of Israel um and so the whole book of the old testament with as much as you see the lord doing it ends with great disappointment until you come to the new testament and finally you have this consolation of israel this hope this salvation and even then jesus christ dies on the cross and at first people are like what is what is going on let's turn to luke to kind of we'll we'll finish with this um luke i'm losing the exact chapter i want you guys to go to the road to emmaus brian what chapter is that you think it's 24 is that right Yeah, so 24, verse 13 and following. So remember, you know, Jesus has died and then several people just think that his body's been stolen. We'll pick it up at at verse 17. And this is Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So these disciples, they're not like excited that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that his body has disappeared. They're not not putting two and two together yet. Verse 18, Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened uh, there in these days? And he said to them, What things? I love this, you know. Christ and his humanity just kind of, you know, and his resurrected humanity just kind of leading them along. Hey, what things? So they said the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to what? Redeem Israel. This is past tense. We were hoping And here we are again. Uh, It hasn't happened. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early were astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And so, even though they they know he's has wasn't in the tomb, they're still sad. So, Jesus comes along, and here they are, just kind of sad, walking along the road. Then verse 25, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. What? All that the prophets have spoken. All this stuff that Hebrews 1 talks about. Every, there's been all this stuff that's been building up to this moment. Verse 26, Ought not the what? Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. This is the way it was meant to be. And beginning, where did he begin? At Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That just must have been a crazy amazing conversation as Jesus is developing the doctrine of Christ from Genesis through Malachi just hitting all these high points of the prophecy prophet priest king what was meant to be happen of Christ and you guys know the story that suddenly he breaks bread their eyes are opened and they said man wasn't our hearts burning when he was speaking to us and so we see that that Jesus Christ he is better he is superior and Um, and that his death on the cross was not a mistake. It wasn't plan B. It was plan A in his first advent. But now we're sitting in a time period where God has called us to go out and spread this hope of the consolation of Israel and the light of the Gentiles in anticipation of his return. When he returns the next time, we're looking forward, we understand, to the rapture of the church. But then he's going to come and ultimately defeat his enemies We'll see the full fulfillment of the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, New Covenant um, on into the millennium. I, know, any, um, I guess kind of just one of the big takeaways that I'd encourage us with is what are the things, you know, the, the people that were reading the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> they had gotten enamored with angels. Is it bad to read about and think about angels? No. But they got so caught up with angels that the writer of Hebrews has to say, hey, the angels worship Jesus, right? What are the hobby horses that we can get caught up with? There's lots of things. Even in scripture, we can kind of go on these rabbit trails and get caught up in little rabbit trails. In life, we can get, I don't know about you, but every day my heart's kind of like running towards a different idol that I can get enamored with. And I have to come back and say, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, Christ, my relationship with Christ, my love for Christ, understanding his love for me, keeping the main thing, the main thing. And um, so I would just encourage us with that, <clears throat> that, you know, the message of the New Testament is the Old Testament is ultimately leading to Christ. And it's all about his superiority. He is better. He is the one that uh, will get glory, and He wants to get glory from, from us. Any, any thoughts that you guys have before we pray? And close for the morning. Comments, questions, criticisms, or concerns? All right, so you guys have an assignment. One is to go and look at uh, lesson two this week. We've got packets on the back. I'll email you guys out um, the lesson for next week for you guys to check that out. The other thing I want you to do over the next week or two is go find either on Amazon or Redbox or the theater, find a good Christian movie to get pumped up about because there are some really good Christian movies that are out these days and pay and 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 get pumped up with some of that Christ exalting stuff that's out there Uh, I'll give you one other one that you guys go check out there's a series on Amazon it's called the Bible collection where they put together a bunch of different movies that you can buy for about $1.99 or $2.99 to rent them and I've been really impressed with the quality of the movies. They're they're not all like brand new. Some of them are like early two thousands. But the one on Esther, is really killer. And the one on Jeremiah, like just had me like bawling, as Jeremiah is trying to resist the Lord to he doesn't really want to go out and prophesy, and then the Spirit falls upon him, and he's just like, Egh! and he just has to speak for the Lord. Um, it's a really cool movie. I personally liked Paul, but not everybody likes it. So that's your second assignment. And then I would challenge you guys, I know we're in April, but get into some, uh, if you're not doing so already, some Bible reading program where you are reading through the Bible in some, some clip. It doesn't have to be the 90-day Bible program, but something that's getting you through Scripture to where you're getting the big picture. Um, I think if you tried the 90 day Bible program, you guys would be surprised at how, how easy it is that it's not as intimidating as it sounds. I mean, o- honestly I can do my Bible reading my 90 day Bible reading plan in the time that it takes me to watch two Seinfeld episodes with no commercials. Right. You watch one Seinfeld it's 23 minutes next one's 23 minutes in 45 minutes i can i can do my bible reading and i sit there and watch two episodes of seinfeld like it was nothing right it just goes by the 90 day to go here, yeah the 90-day bible reading program is you read the whole bible in 90 days and basically if, if you read for 45 minutes you could buy the niv sp- version if you want because they break it up for you and the NIV one, it's called the 90-day, it's by Zondervan, 90-day reader. It's 12 pages a day. And the average reading, if you're just a an average to slow reader, you can do it in 45 minutes a day. It's not like you're not trying to suck the morrow out of every phrase. You're just reading through it. And then what I'll do is I keep a pen next to me, and I'm just, if there's something I want to go back to, I just really quick write it. I don't stop and and for me personally it helps if I have audio going while I'm reading, because then I'm not tempted to go off on rabbit trails and start thinking about oh that's an interesting phrase. And start I just like just move through it in forty five minutes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then there's this Bible app. I'll end on, I keep telling you guys I'm gonna end on this. It's a useless preacher term. Um so this audio Bible app, this actually is by Bible Gateway. But this one, it actually has the text of the Bible on the app to where it's... Uh, let me see if it's picking it up. I don't know if you guys can see that. It rolls through the text while it's reading. So it's changing slides. And... You can set it up on, you can set it up on a timer. Like if you want to read for thirty minutes, you can put a timer thirty minutes. You can also make it go faster or slower. Right now, I've got it at one point five. Oh, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, east the Jordan. See, I've been doing it fast for so long that that sounds that's totally normal to me. It just helps me more my reading speed rather than my listening speed. Does that make sense? The app is just called um, Bible audio. It's for free on um, your app store. And yeah, the thing I like, there's, it's all, it's only King James and NIV, but there's several different audio of the NIV. And the thing I really like about it is one, I can see it. I'll use this sometimes if I don't, have my Bible if I'm like somewhere else without this copy of the, God's word. And I can hit the timer and I'll actually do it this speed sometimes. That's the speed I do when I'm going through like the, uh, be, um, the no, no, like le, like Levitical laws and stuff. Or like if I'm going through like all the uh, uh, genealogies, that's my genealogy speed. Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, Uh, but so you can change the speeds and stuff anyway, just some ideas. Yeah. I do better. Like if I read with the audio, I do better than listening to the audio. I'm not very, my learning style is not really geared towards audio by itself. I do better reading, but if I have reading and audio, it helps me stay at a certain speed Otherwise, like my tendency would be, if I was trying to do the 90 Bible program without audio, it would probably take me two hours to read my section each day because I want to stop and study this and look up that word and start to daydream. And I I have ADD, so I think I don't know. Just (laughs) all right. Well, let's pray. And if you guys have any other questions, I'll be up here. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness and goodness to us. Um, We thank you, Lord, for just being able to start the New Testament today. And what a blessing it is to see the consolation and hope that we have in Christ. Well, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that Christ uh, uh, gave uh, Moses, who was not able to enter the land, Aaron that was not able to enter the land, David who failed in his life, and yet they all pointed to the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our prophet our king our priest for being the christ <clears throat> we thank you lord for ministering angels but we look to you as the ultimate superior better one and um, we ask god that you receive worship this morning as your word is preached and as we sing and we uh, thank you in the name of jesus amen